You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie and USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, ESPN Plus got me back. Oh, no. They got me back (laughs) in exactly the way that I knew that they were going to get me. Which is? Saturday night. Okay. My wife had gone out with her sister. She's over at her sister's house, drinking wine, talking shop. Talking shop. Yeah. I got nothing to do. I'm looking on Twitter. I see fast approaching the co-main event and main event of UFC Fight Night. What was it? 148, a.k.a. UFC Nashville. UFC Nashville. UFC on ESPN plus six, I think. I thought to myself, well, shit. <laughs> so there you go. I'm back. So what? You, well, I'm back in the fold. I remember you saying how when you originally paused, is that how they put it? Paused? Your, paused my subscription. Yeah. Yes. And they they purposely phrased it that way. Like, we'll just hold on to your credit card information in case you decide you want to come back. Yeah. So what was the process? Did you have to, like, write them and be like, okay, guys. <laughs> Did I have to come. write them a detailed apology? Yeah. No. I mean, you know, I'm always surprised when you sign up for one of these kind of, like, big ticket streaming services that's owned by a big company. It's not as straightforward as you would think it should be. No. Because I was, like, I was trying to do it. as easy as possible. I was, first, I tried to do it on my Roku. Okay. But it turns out now, and this is like a new wrinkle, if you want to buy something with your Roku, you have to use something called Roku Pay. Come and on. I was like, I don't even know what that is. Come on. So then I, I, I went back to my computer and I signed into ESPN Plus, and obviously it does the thing where it says start your seven-day free trial. And I was like, I have already used my seven-day yeah. free trial. No, I get that message constantly. So there was some kind of like round and around. Finally, I got it working. It updated on my TV just in time to watch Curtis Blades and Justin Willis and then... Stephen Thompson and Anthony Pettis. Did they send you like a little follow-up email to be like, we see you came crawling back. Subject line, ha-ha, motherfucker. Yeah. Not quite as big time as you thought you were. Yes. I got an email from Walt Disney himself. (laughs) (laughs) He knew. Championing my return. Uh, Programming note, Ben. I think everybody knows by now, but we're just going to run this one more time. We're recording the Co-Main Event podcast right now, as usual, on Monday. But it is spring break for all of our children. Spring break, woo! So uh, there will be no Patreon stuff this week. No live chat on Wednesday. No road agents. No uh, power hour on Friday. We're going to do a BOC? Let's say no. Yeah, let's say no. No BOC this week. Uh, We'll be back next week with all that stuff firing on all cylinders. Tell you what I will do, though. I remember how I keep talking about how I've had that... uh... Next installment of The Old Man and the Sea kicking oh, around yeah. in our drafts folder yeah, for a while. Yeah, drop that. I'll, I'll drop that. Also, I already went ahead, took the liberty, going back through. Now, the first season of Road Agents podcast, covering the first season of Deadwood, I mean, available to the public. Limited that, time only. That is some interesting breaking news. Yeah. This week only, since we're not going to be around, you can get on the Patreon. Is this how it works? Yep. And for $1... For zero dollars, it's on there on the it's available to the public. Right it's for now. everybody. That's for wow. limited for this week only. Spring that's break more, woo. That's more generous than I even thought it was going to be. Spring break woo. That's a heck of a deal. It is. I mean, you can't beat that deal. It's, it's free. free. It's just free, just like this podcast. We were driving in the car yesterday, listening to the radio, and there was a news report on about 
how they the authorities are thinking about trying to cancel spring break in Miami next year because spring break this year was too wild. Oh, really? And it was as though my daughter had seen a ghost. Because, you know, she's six. She listens to the radio. She understands what's going on, but, like, doesn't understand it with an adult's uh, context, kind of. Right. So to her, what she was hearing was they're trying to cancel spring break. And she was just like, what? <laughs> like, she was legitimately worried that spring break was going to get canceled, that we weren't going to get to go on our trip, that she wasn't going to She gonna thought they were going to cancel this year's spring yeah, break. Yeah, she thought, it, like, they were yanking the rug out from under her. Wow. That would be quite a shock. I had to talk her down. <laughs> Uh, people watching the live stream have no doubt by now noticed we're recording at my house this week. That's true. Another little wrinkle thrown in there by Spring Break Woo. They will also notice what seems to be some sort of uh, medical facility admittance bracelet on your wrist. Do you want to tell them about that? See, what had happened was... <laughs> Here we go. We just bought a new bed for my three-year-old because he's getting way too big for his toddler bed. And it's one of those like mattresses that comes in a big cardboard box. You take it out and it like unrolls itself and then right. boom, you got a mattress. Yep. So the box is maybe like four feet long, one foot square, let's say. It's a big ass rectangle. Heavy, heavier than you would think it was going to be. I had to get it up the stairs in my house. I thought, this is just like the heavy snatch. No big deal. Throw it up on my shoulder, carry it up there. Didn't notice anything happened at the time. Uh, but we, un we got the box out. It was, you know, mattress doing its thing. All of a sudden I was like, hold on. Something is not right in my lower abdominal area. Oh no. So I let it, I let it rest for an hour or two. Still feeling very weird. I went to the walk-in clinic. Cause of course, whenever I have to have an intervention with the medical industry, it's Sunday. So ain't nothing open. <laughs> right. I went to the one walk-in clinic that is open in Missoula on Sunday. They checked me out. They were like, maybe you have a hernia. Like, this is the area where you would have a hernia. Like, this is where the pain would be. We can't feel any uh, obvious hernia stuff, but you should still get an ultrasound. Okay, did they do the thing, the hernia test, which every male has been subjected to? Or you cough? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they did, but it wasn't, It wasn't. let's say, testicular. It was just up on the uh, hands on the abdominal wall. So wait, you're telling me all this time they could have been checking for a hernia without putting their hands all in my bathing suit region. And maybe you want to rethink your doctor. Last week, you already told us your doctor's kind of weird. Yeah, but I mean, that part I had come to regard as standard operating procedure for the hernia check. I mean, I'll be honest, the area of the where I currently feel the pain is, let's say, right above the pubic bone. Okay. So and when you pretty coughed, close to the area. When they did the test, did it feel different than than normal? Like when you coughed, was it like, oh yeah? No, that's, not really. Not really. It's a weird feeling, man. Like I haven't been able to figure it out. So anyway, cut to the chase. I went in today to get a an ultrasound at the actual hospital, which is why they put this bracelet on me. Uh, they didn't see any obvious signs of a hernia. So they think maybe I sprained a muscle in my abdominal wall. If you were going to ask me to list the top three most likely ways I would think Chad Dunnis would get a hernia, this is not in them. No, you and me both, brother. Yeah. You and me both. I would have said heavy snatch. That would have been number one. Actually, when I was sitting at home thinking that I had a hernia, number and we two? still don't know. Kettlebells. We still don't 100% know whether or not I have a hernia or not. I'm supposed to wait 14 days, see what happens. If the if it still hurts, I'm supposed to go in and get a CT scan. If it gets much worse, emergency room. So that's where we are. But uh, as I was sitting at home waiting to go in and get my ultrasound, I had the thought, thank God this didn't happen at CrossFit. Thank God, because Ben Folks would never let me hear the end of it. It's true. Okay, the other question I have to ask is, is it possible 
that this injury is still a result of CrossFit in the sense that you went into this overconfident. When you went to pick up the box, you were like, as you said, I do the heavy snatch. This box is nothing to me. And you went in there full of hubris. Mm-hmm. And now you're paying the price. See, you're dying to blame it on CrossFit one way or another. I just, you know, what? I, I can do the math. I'm saying maybe when they say there ain't no such thing as being too strong, maybe maybe that's bullshit, man. <laughs> just like Bo Jackson. You're like Bo Jackson. You're too strong for your own good. You just like, you can't, your your strength cannot even be contained in this human vessel. Yeah, especially you, the you lower abdominal right wall. through it. Especially the lower abdominal wall portion of the vessel. Uh, did you notice my t-shirt? Yeah, it looks like there's some animal husbandry happening on there. What is that? It's like it's two skeletons. One is a dog or a dinosaur of some kind. It's a dog. Uh, it looks like jumping up to greet his master. That's right. This is from the Wild Thing podcast. The, the, oh, the, the Bigfoot the, okay. podcast. Yeah. Podcast. This is the skeleton of noted Bigfoot researcher Grover Krantz. Uh-huh. And his beloved uh, like Irish wolfhound or something. This supposedly actual display in the Smithsonian. Interesting. He, he donated his bones and the bones of his dogs and wanted them like articulated. And then they had some display where it works for it. So they set it up just like this. Boom. Bought it from the Wild Thing podcast. Podcasters supporting podcasters, Chad. That's what this is. That's have what we, you see Have right we here. told you about podcast merchandise? Because if you're interested in supporting the co-main event podcast, we got cowboy astronaut cigarette t-shirts and Dundasso t-shirts available all the time on demand whenever you want them over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick up some CME merchandise. Then you'll be looking as hunky as Ben Folks. Yeah, and if you happen to be Laura Krantz from the Wild Thing Podcast and you're listening to this right now, you owe me one. Get me back. Something tells me she's probably not listening to this show. But maybe. Maybe I'll be surprised. On the treadmill? On the elliptical? She listens. We got music again this week from our longtime listener and friend of the show, Ras Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on this episode, you can check out more over at SoundCloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M-S Ross, Stockholm Ross. Yeah, it's our guy. Three rounds as usual this week in the co-main event podcast. And round number one, if ever there was going to be a day to deploy the old co-main event cliche, this is it. Because Wonder Man Thompson totally would have won that fight if he hadn't lost. He would have. And in round number two, remember after Connor fought Habib and we told you some people don't play? Add Curtis Blades to that list. The best private investigator walking the mean streets of South Beach does not play. Go home, big titty. And in round number three, this weekend we all shuffle onto our balconies to watch Justin Gaethje and Edson Barboza brawl in the muddy thoroughfare. Who among you is man enough to admit that you're rooting for mutual destruction? You know, within reason. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Kevin Schuler or Schuler. He writes, Cheeto cheated. Cheeto Vera ended the fight from clearly, that's in all caps, illegal strikes to the back of the head. Is that not a loss by DQ per the rules? Obviously the dude was winning and had just scored a good knockdown, but why even have the rules if we don't follow them? So here we go, Ben. Yep. Cheeto Vera, Marlon Vera gets a win over Frankie Signs this past week. First round TKO, a minute and 25 seconds in the men's bantamweight division. This is on the preliminary portion of the uh, UFC Fight Night ESPN Plus 6 card. Yeah. Uh, he drops him with like a left-hand jab. Yep, straight left. And then as uh, he's trying to... Uh, Regain his bearings. Cheeto Vera's on top there. He hits him a couple times, like kind of on the temple. And then uh, as Frankie Signs rolls belly down, sort of, then yep. 
some several direct hammer fists directly on the back of the skull. Now, I want to read to you what Cheeto Vera said after the fight and addressing the question of illegal strikes. Because I think we can agree, especially the strikes to the back of the head in a fight-ending sequence, really hard to do anything about. Hard to police. Yeah. And this explanation, though, just... I'm interested in your reaction. Here it Classic is. Classic MMA post-event statement in inbound, incoming. Yes, I saw the replays. There are a couple, I suppose, in the back of the head. But the same thing happened to my teammate, Alex Perez, when Joseph Benavidez dropped him. That's the only place to hit when you're in that place. So what I would do, like, leave the guy there, let him recover, and tell the ref, like, hey, I'm a super good guy. I cannot hit him. Fuck it. If the guy's there, you just hit him. Because it's either me or it's him, you know? If I'm face down, where will you hit? Because his arms were next to his ear. There's no way to hit around. So yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a dick or a bad athlete. The place where we're there, I hit it there. But I'm pretty sure, if I'm not wrong, most of the punches were in the ear before he gets to that spot where he was already sleeping. So I'm sorry to my opponent. I don't want to do that. I'm not a dirty fighter. That happened. I got I got the win. Fuck it. <laughs> Fuck it indeed, so, sir. His defense consists at least in part with being like, well, hey, yeah, I hit you in the back of the head, but that was the only available place for me to hit you. It was either that or not hit you at all, and clearly I couldn't choose that option. I was trying to win the fight. Yeah. This is a pretty blatant one. I have said on this podcast before, and I will continue to say that the strikes to the back of the head rule is so hard as to almost be unenforceable in a mixed martial arts fight. It's almost, and I've made this comparison before, it's almost like holding in football. Like, if you want to call holding on every play in a football game, you probably can. In mixed martial arts, if you want to call strikes to the back of the head in many fights, that call is going to be there. Now, this one was pretty blatant, and it did, in fact, those strikes did, in fact, lead to the end of the fight. So you can say uh, consequential, blatant and consequential foul here by Chito Vera. At the same time, it's such a hard thing, man, to police because obviously like Frankie signs is moving around. He's, he like, he's rolling into Cheeto Vera as this happens to, I would say probably consciously expose only the back of his head thinking, well, he can't strike me there. Yeah. Uh, which I guess is smart. If you're Frankie signs, that's a, that's a good thing to do. But at the same time, like, man, this rule, I know you have to have it because you can, you can suffer a serious injury getting hit on the back of the head. But at the same time, I very seldom look at a fight where there are back-of-the-head strikes, and I think, well, we got to either overturn it or run it back, or this person should have lost by DQ. Do you remember that one several years ago? I think it was Eric Silva where he lost by DQ because it was a fight-ending sequence where, you know, he's throwing punches at a guy on the ground, and the guy's already hurt, and some of the, like, the last few punches land on the back of the head, and the referee DQ'd him. It initially seemed to be a a TKO win for him, but then the referee was like, no, those last ones for the back of the head. And that, the reaction from everybody was like, well, come on, that's unfair. Like, yeah, yeah, I hit him in the back of the head, but things were moving pretty fast. He'd already hurt the guy. And it's a similar situation here because you're right. Like, what do you want them to do? To step in and be like, well, the last three punches were to the back of the head. But the way you got there was that you had already hurt him with legal punches. Yeah. And so then it's like you step in there and call time, whatever, take a point, warn him, whatever. And then you go to Frankie Signs and say, are you good to continue? I mean, he was already hurt before that. So if he can't continue and maybe you shouldn't let him continue after that, then it ends up being a DQ, which is highly unsatisfying because it it didn't seem like it was necessary. It's like if you take the back of the head shots away, it still feels like you're going to end up in the same TKO result there. Yeah. Didn't feel like it, the whole fight turned on it. I remember and they, that's such a hazy distinction. To I make. agree. They did it to Brock Lesnar that one time. I think it was the first Frank Mir fight, right? He's on the ground and Lesnar's 
hammer fists him, I think, in the back of the head. And I think it was Mazzagotti, like, stepped in. I can't remember what he did, but Lesnar ended up losing that fight, obviously, to Frank Mir. And when that happened, everybody was like, whoa, that's weird. You're actually going to call the back of the head rule here? Like, that's <laughs> that's a that's a weird thing to do. So I don't think the problem is with Chito Vera, although <laughs> he could have crafted that post-fight statement a little more carefully, I think. Because it's honest. It's it very is honest. honest. Well, fuck it is maybe not the, the best way to approach your rules violation, but... I don't think the problem is with Cheeto Vera. I don't think the problem is with the referee here. I don't think the problem is with Frankie Signs. I think the problem is with the rule. Like, and I don't know how you make the rule better. It's just like a uh, an impossible thing to police almost in this sport. When guys are out there rolling around and moving and throwing fists and all kinds of shit is happening. Once again, Dundasa reigns supreme. I told y'all. Uh, next question this week from Frazier in Scotland. Can you guys talk at great length? About real life, my name is Earl character and all around tough SOB Bryce Mitchell. <laughs> Get that motherfucker some camo shorts and a promo video of Jason Lee trying to apologize for letting him for lending him his power drill and you have a potential star on your hands. He really had quite a week here. He really did. Yeah. And see, this is the kind of thing where we're going to talk about this later, but we talked about Justin Willis on, on the power hour on right. Friday. Justin Willis shows up. He's got his outfit. He's he's chewing on. A, I don't know what he's chewing on but he's got like a toothpick essentially in his mouth. He's, he's got the trash talk. He talks shit to Curtis blades all week. And yet Bryce Mitchell is the guy who emerges from this fight night event, having really made the star turn. And again, it's in mixed martial arts where like, we just decide if we like you based on organic factors for the most part, like just you out there being yourself is more likely to earn you a bunch of fans than if you show up with your premeditated trash talk and your right. branded hooded well, sweatshirt, et cetera, et cetera. If who you are is interesting and fun. There's a lot of fighters out there where, especially I've learned when I started doing this feature where I kind of look at people's social media presence and try to figure out something. And some of them, you look at their social media presence and you're like, the only thing I've learned about you is that you are fucking boring. Like you're, you're a pro athlete who just gets in the gym and works really hard. And that seems to be your entire life. And it's boring. It is boring as hell for an observer. But this guy is it, it the actual person he is seems very interesting. Also, we had heard of him before. Yes. Because of his terrible drill accident. His terrible drill accident. And isn't it funny how quickly things can turn? Because it seemed to me when I remember hearing about that terrible drill accident, which if you're joining us in progress on this story, what happened was he was doing some repairs with a power drill on top of a ladder, as he said, on top of a 20-foot ladder. And then while, you know, switching stuff around in his hands, stuck his drill down in his pants until he needed it again. And somehow it went off in his pants and tore his scrotum. Yeah. And then he fell off the 20-foot ladder. Well, I would too, damn Yes. It. Well, and see, here's the thing. When you hear about that story, you think, man, MMA fans are never going to let you live that down. You will, you could be goddamn champion and you will forever be the power drill nutsack guy Yeah, for the rest of your life. But then when he shows up in fight week and he is very open and talking about it, he said he had a thing that we had on MMA Junkie where he was responding to questions about it. And he was like, yeah, I've been hearing a lot about it. I don't think people would ask me about it at least so jokingly if they knew how serious it really was. Cause I should probably be dead. Yeah. Like he was like the, you know, it's a serious injury. And then I fell off a 20 foot ladder and I'm out there in a field in Arkansas in the middle of nowhere. Like I don't have neighbors who are going to see me and call 911. I don't have anybody I can call to for help. Like I could have probably just laid there and died, but I got, I think he said God or whatever was looking out for him and 
not only did he not die, he's back in the cage. Wins a fight of the night worthy bonus winning performance against a decision here. And then afterwards goes, shouts out Arkansas Mm -hmm. for one thing, uh, talks about how he's going to take his mom out to dinner. Somebody calls mom, tell him, tell her she's okay. Tell her he's okay. And he's going to take her out to dinner. He later explained, Chad, when they asked where he's going to take his mom out to dinner, and he's like, Texas Roadhouse, because I've been through it before where you ask her, where do you want to go? And it turns into a whole thing, and I'm not doing that again. I'm just <laughs> telling her, Texas Roadhouse, where we're going to go. And then he also go, gets on Reebok telling him, you think I'm joking? I want some camo shorts. I'm from Arkansas, goddammit. I'm shouting out Arkansas every time you put the mic in my face. I want those camo shorts. And a point that I made in one of my, my post-fight video things is people like this, in my experience, when they start talking about camo clothing, they're not joking. You no. better get them the camo shorts. They don't joke about camo clothing. They want that shit. And yeah, and he should absolutely have them, right? Yeah, like, why not? Reebok it's kind of weird that Reebok, Reebok doesn't have camo shorts yeah, out now yeah. since maybe it's just maybe everybody would get the camo shorts. I, don't know. <laughs> I like how he said he wanted the real deal camo. Don't give him, like, you know, your kind of, like, your bullshit city camo. He wants the kind of camo shorts that you can go hunting in. Like mossy oak? He wants mossy oak prints, camo shorts? I would assume. It's a good it's a good turn of events for Bryce Mitchell. He seems like a guy we need to hear hear more from. And, again, just happens kind of more organically than some kind of uh, pre-prepared material here that you bring from home. Next question from Brian Mills this week. On a recent live chat, you two were discussing Snuffleupagus and whether or not he was Big Bird's imaginary friend. See, this is what you're missing if you're not in on the live chats, people. Weekly, except for this week because it's Spring Break Woo, but weekly, 11.30 a.m. Mountain Time, Wednesdays. Wednesdays. Live chats. One dollar. That's all it costs. One dollar, and you can hear us talk about Snuffleupagus. Originally, he was imaginary, but there was growing concern that Big Bird's inability to convince adults that Snuffleupagus is real would discourage children from telling adults about important issues such as abuse. Also, is the violent Bob Ross guy a guy? Is is the violent Bob Ross a guy, or do we all just want him to be a guy because of his look and nickname? Now, see, this is a CME listener mail right here. That's right. Luis Pena gets the win over Steven Peterson. Unanimous decision. Straight 30-27s across the board. Catch weight, though, 148 and a half. It was Pena that missed weight, right? Right. Well, he's huge for yeah. a featherweight. He's like 6'3". Isn't he saying he's going to stay there, though? And mm. he had the UFC's blessing to to move down, and he's going to stay at, at featherweight if he can. Let's talk about you Well, first of all, 6-1. and one, He lost to uh, Michael Trezano in his last fight, but he beats Steven Peterson here. Uh, he's 2-1 and one in the UFC. Seems like a reasonably good fighter. Who knows where he'll go in the featherweight division. Let's talk turkey about the violent Bob Ross nickname, because people love it. I'm not necessarily not on board with it. I think it's... It's creative. It's, you know, everybody knows who that is. He's the only guy who has that nickname. I'll tell you the one drawback that I think it has. It's incumbent on the haircut. Yeah. So, like, the only reason this guy has that nickname is because he has that haircut. Can't change it now. How old is he? How old is this Luis Pena? He's 25. 15 years from now, is he still going to have the quaff to be able to pull off the Bob Ross haircut? Well, Chuck Liddell's still walking around here with a Chuck Hawk. Fact. And it ain't looking great sometimes when you see it. (laughs) Softening up a little bit in the front sometimes. You know what Luis Pena looks like trying to make 145? Look at my shirt. Skeleton. Look at that skeleton. Looking like a skeleton. Well, he exactly says he's going to try to do it. terrible, man. He's going to try to do it more. Isn't that right? He didn't say he's going back up. I he's think he's right. staying home at 145. Well, and you could see that he definitely, he had the range in this fight, really helped him. And yet, I'm not going to call him a guy yet. 
I understand oh, that it's, it's too like early. A, it's too early for guy status. It's a Capital thing. G guy status. People want to get excited about. Like you said, you're the only one walking around as the violent Bob Ross. I need more. I need more than that. If a you're going to be a guy, more. I'm going to go since I'll say lowercase G guy. Okay, that's. I'm not even willing to go that far yet. You want to get that capital G? I'm going to need to see some more wins, and I'm going to need to see some more weight making if you're going to stay down there at featherweight. Don't stay down there at featherweight. Well, it's kind of Don't a shark you. tank either way you go in those two weight classes. Right, but you could agree help with yourself you. You out fight by not one. killing yourself. Right, you should fight in the one that is more natural. Right. All right, we got time for a couple more here. This one came in from Dealbreaker Dwayne. He writes, like Chad, I hadn't, I hadn't really heard of Macy Barber headed into fight night in Nashville. Now I admit... I want to know more. What about y'all? So Macy Barber gets this win. Come from behind win, I will say, over J.J. Aldrich. Second round TKO, knee and punches. I told y'all on Friday, J.J. Aldrich, sneaky tough. Yeah. For me, I wrote about this a little bit after the fact because the UFC has put this kind of spotlight on Macy Barber, right? Dana White's being like, here's somebody I'm excited about. And making a whole lot of people like you be like, who? Who is this? I got to find out who this is now. So they find out and then they go to see this fight and like, okay, let's see what you got. Super young and still young in the game and a lot of holes in the game. So, I mean, you can see the athleticism and the, you know, she has a lot of physical attributes that she can really use. And she turned on a dime in this fight because she was losing. She did. Uh, She did not look great against J.J. Aldrich. It seemed like J.J. Aldrich had pinpointed some things that were big problems for Macy Barber and was exploiting them. And just in the striking game, she was not looking like she was super comfortable and was looking very beatable. And then she kind of found one opening and just exploded into it. And that was it. And that's, it shows you that there's a lot of like athletic potential that she has. And she has, you know, a big personality and really embraces the spotlight and all that stuff. And is, you know, all that stuff that the UFC kind of looks for, especially in a female fighter. But if I were another fighter in that division, I would have watched that fight and be like, Give me her now. Like, don't give me her in two or three years when she has a chance to get better and close some of these holes right now. Especially because when you make her a thing, when you hype that that bubble up a little bit, you give everybody else an incentive to go out there and be the person to beat her. This is a Sage Northcutt situation all over again. Yeah, she wants to come back for International Fight Week. I agree with you. Uh, It's kind of like the double-edged sword of being a a young, up-and-coming prospect. Uh you do have this potential, and clearly it was this come from behind win by Macy Barber is it was impressive, and it did in fact leave me wanting to know more about her. But at the same time, like you're right, she's a work in progress, and is the learning curve going to be gradual enough that she gets to mature like an ordinary MMA fighter would, or is she going to be thrown into the fire at some point where someone who's maybe a little bit too good for her, as frankly J.J. Aldrich almost was. Is she going to get in there with someone who's almost a little bit too good for her? Because because she does have this, uh, uh, she has this notability in the sport. She has this profile, and like people are going to be lining up to fight her. Like it's the kind of situation where if you want her to be to live up to that hype, I think it's you got to be kind of careful with the matchmaking here. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Uh, last question this week, maybe we've been talking a lot about this, but here's one from Nixon M who writes: pacing, time, and money. If we only consider fight night events. The move from FS1 to ESPN Plus has saved the average wild man 57 hours per year, 342 hours over the length of the deal, 
shit-eating wild men that's more than two weeks of your life, you'll probably likely just spend being an asshole to Suzanne Davis on Twitter. Oh, wow. At least uh, $1,440. I don't know what that part was about. Uh, at least $1,440 savings of ESPN Plus versus Sling or the cheapest FS1 OTT option. An additional 600 after you realize the UFC has given up on Fight Pass. <laughs> I'd buy that for a dollar or five anyways. Interesting points here. I don't know exactly where all the math comes from. Haven't checked it. Yeah. Unverified math. But we've been focusing a lot about the negative stuff in the ESPN Plus deal. This is also, though, uh, the $1,440 savings of ESPN Plus first versus Sling to get FS1. You still need ESPN sure. for some events. Like the yeah. next the one this weekend is an ESPN one, right? The Justin Gaethje. Yes. So it's not like you can just completely write off having to have any kind of cable TV package. But I see the point, especially the time savings. And this is a, a little bit of reason for optimism. In a lot of ways, I do prefer the ESPN Plus events to the Fox Sports 1 fight nights. Sure. They're yeah. more respectful of my time, for we one were, thing. We were out of there before like 9 o'clock. And that seems to be kind of the standard now like with those events. I, I like a lot of the things that are happening there. I also, though, just like it seems to me kind of strange how quickly the – our conventional wisdom about what you needed to be a successful MMA promotion has changed just in a few years. Cause remember when it used to be like, you need a live TV deal. Yeah. Like, that used to be the Holy grail. Yeah. Like not that long ago. That was the Holy grail yeah. when they signed the Fox deal and they were going to be on network TV. It was like, Oh, yeah. we thought like the sport has arrived. And now it's just like, it's going to be on the internet almost right. exclusively. Yeah. And that's not itself that new of an idea. I mean, there's been a lot of fight promotions where they'd be like, how do you get your, how do we get watch your fights? Well, we we have them on the internet. We have them on the internet stream. Like that has been happening for like 10 years. But it was always like, hey, if your fights are only available on the internet stream and you're not on TV anywhere, you're kind of dead in the water, man. Yeah. You're not really going anywhere. And now the UFC, the biggest player in the space, has the bulk of its stuff available on the internet. Yeah, and I think that helps. I think how, like the fact that it's the UFC brand that's streaming only gives that streaming a little bit more weight. It gives it a little bit more a feeling of being big time. Uh, I think having ESPN attached to it helps. I think right. that gives it a feeling of being legitimate. Uh, I don't know that you would necessarily get that if the UFC went off on its own and started its own streaming thing. But maybe, I mean, depending on how things go, if the ESPN deal runs its course and, and then you're done with it, if if after that the UFC was like, all right, we're going straight WWE Network style, we're going to have our own thing, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that wouldn't work because yeah. it seems like it might. Uh, and I agree that there are lots of potential positives here for fans and we we've been focusing a little bit on the 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 negatives of having the pay-per-views not necessarily even the negatives but like what will change with having the negatives only on, uh, with having the pay-per-views only on ESPN plus if it's going to if buy rates will will dwindle significantly if fighters that get paid according to their pay-per-view points will see far less money like the putting up a paywall in front of the paywall obviously is going to uh, discourage a lot of consumers but at the same time I mean, it's kind of way too early to, to tell how any of this will affect anything about the product. And there might be right. a lot of positive developments from it as well. Well, and we have another question here that I don't know if we have time to get into the whole thing from Dak Wasson. Yeah. Uh, where – and he, he admits maybe I'm being hopelessly naive and optimistic. But one thing – like he basically says like, hey, now the UFC doesn't have to worry so much about pay-per-view sales because it's getting a lot of money up front from the ESPN just for having the pay-per-views. Can it put 
bigger fights on just regular ESPN to kind of pull in new fans. And it, I think the example here they list is, I can imagine something like Robert Whitaker versus Israel Adesanya for the strap on, strap on, huh, huh. That's his commentary on ESPN because they're going to be getting their cut either way now. But then the flip side of that is if I'm Robert Whitaker, I'm going, whoa, wait a minute. One of the things that made the whole title situation so attractive was not just having the belt to show I'm the best, but also points on the pay-per-view. That's how you get the really big money. And now you're telling me, yeah, we don't really do it that way anymore. We're going to put you on ESPN and you're getting paid an exposure, basically. Right. Not such a great deal for them. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts. And so there's there's really no way to tell yet exactly how it's going to uh, play out. And frankly, the idea of, of putting big-time draws on on cable television I would think like one of the only reasons to do that if you're the UFC would be either to get those ratings, and I don't know how much those ratings really matter all that much anymore, or to like get that exposure. Obviously, planning to put one of those people behind the paywall in future events and hoping to to like draw those fans in. And again, like like you said, if you're a fighter who gets paid in pay-per-view points, I would imagine there's going to have to be a pretty significant renegotiation of things as long as you have that political clout. And two, like... They're going to, yeah, man, like if you're Robert Whitaker, do you agree to be on ESPN? I guess like there's a lot of different ins and outs and sort of to consider. I feel like we're still just kind of like too new into the streaming only portion of this deal to figure out exactly what is going to happen. Like it, It could be a lot of different effects and it could it could affect absolutely nothing. As I've said, it seems like for years and years, the UFC has really only known one way to do business. And the UFC has not been particularly adaptive in terms of like how it does business. I mean, there are some things that it has adapted very quickly to. There are other things that are kind of the same as they ever have been. Well, the way it does business is to try to figure out how to get more of that money directly into its pocket while telling us all, don't worry, this is good for everybody. It's, it's amazing. For, yeah. This is amazing for you, he says, as he sticks his hand in your pocket and amazing takes your, take for your money out. Every living human. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have a question, a comment, a concern that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning, except this Friday, to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast stuff always happens news always breaks the newsletter itself is short it's informative we would love to tell you it's funny and if you don't like it well it's really easy to unsubscribe as for right now though we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one shy of 10 minutes on Saturday night in the main event of UFC Fight Night 148, it looked like this move up to welterweight was not quite going to be the thing for Anthony Pettis. It's not that he was completely getting run over, because he had some nice moments uh, of his own. He was working on a strategy here that may have paid dividends down the road in this fight that we'll talk about in a few minutes, but he was getting beat by Stephen Thompson. He was. It looked like Stephen Thompson was either going to craft a late stoppage or kind of cruise to a unanimous decision victory here, at least through, through, through two rounds. Then Anthony Pettis bounces off the cage... Almost Showtime Pettis style. Didn't jump off the cage like he did with the the, the Showtime kick, but like he came he came off the ropes. Is he kind did. of what happened. Uh, blasts Stephen Thompson in the face with a Superman punch. Shuts out the lights. 
gets the victory. Another come from behind victory here. 455 into the second round. KO win for Showtime Pettis. Give me your thoughts. How much do you think this improves the stock of Anthony Pettis? And do you feel like, hey, man, this guy should keep going at welterweight? Or is this kind of like lightning in a bottle for for Anthony Pettis here? Chad, would you say this was a fight where everybody got to do their stuff? Everybody got to do their stuff with the exception of Stephen Thompson getting knocked out. That's right, not really his stuff. No, it's never happened to him before so, in MMA. So in that case, it was it was sort of a different deal. But like I, I thought these guys were having a fun fight through two rounds. They were. And like I said, Anthony Pettis didn't look completely overmatched. He was doing some nice work kicking the back leg of Stephen Thompson. He landed a couple of hard punches. But for the most part... Stephen Thompson was kind of having his way. He was. Well, especially he was using that karate stance that he has. He was controlling the distance really well. Anthony Pettis would try to get a little forward momentum going with that kind of you know, tie boxing style that he has. But Stephen Thompson had some good answers for that where he was just like, all right, you come forward like that. I'm just going to throw kicks against your arms. And I think he said afterwards, like, I was just trying to break his arms with the kicks. Like, go ahead and block him and we'll see how you like that over the course of five rounds. And he's really well at, you know, maintaining the distance. He does really well at maintaining that distance that he wants. And he was, he, he gets people into those situations where you feel like you have to rush him in order to close that distance and, and get where you can get off some offense. And he's ready for you when you do that. Remember what he did to Roy McDonald, where he over and over again would just like, you know, create the situation where you have to come charging in. And when you do, I'll blast you in the face over and over again. And it works really well. And except for this one moment, like, Anthony Pettis is losing every second of this two-round fight, pretty much. And then you know, not even really a super hard punch. Yeah. You can tell that Stephen Thompson just didn't see it. Yeah. And that's what it was. It yeah. was just the su- sheer surprise of it. Drops him, and when his head snapped off the canvas like that, then you're not going to get up from that. Yeah, it's kind of a home run shot. It's kind of like a one in a million shot. Clearly, this is the kind of stuff that we see from Anthony Pettis more often than we see from other people. Like, he kind of have a, has a knack for these highlight reel finishes. I don't know that I want to like make a huge indictment of Stephen Thompson here because I thought he was winning the fight right up to the point where he got knocked out. I do wonder, is there any part of this, despite the like kind of freakish nature of the punch that we can lay at the feet of Stephen Thompson's karate style and karate stance? Cause they, they even mentioned it on the commentary. He does carry his hands extremely oh, yeah. low in the fight. And he does do a thing where like he punches and then he immediately kind of retreats back to this, uh, like a low handed karate style and his hands were still somewhat up in the air when Anthony Pettis kind of goes around his guard in this sort of Superman hook, Superman punch kind of thing. But at the same time, like it's an unorthodox stance from Stephen Thompson, a key to a lot of his success. But at the same time, if he has a more orthodox boxing slash kickboxing style, does he defend against that? Yeah, well, I don't know, maybe. I, I think it's, it's impossible to say, I guess. But. I think the problem really was that he just didn't see it. And yeah. that's what he said afterwards. He said it was so ninja that I didn't even see it. And if you don't see it, I don't know if just having your hands in the neighborhood of your face is necessary, especially with the small gloves. It's not boxing. So I think that it may, is only going to do you so much good. The thing I wonder about is we talked about it before with guys like Chuck Liddell, guys like Leo Machida. When you have this kind of style, the kind of style Stephen Thompson has, we've seen in the past that maybe it doesn't age well and maybe it ages poorly all at once. Like he's 36, yeah, the he's, wonder man. He's getting up there in years. And maybe you hit a point, especially when you rely on the ability to win this game of inches, you're, you're relying on timing, speed and reflexes and things like that. If it starts to fall off a little bit, 
it becomes noticeable really quickly, way yeah. faster than if you're, you know, a takedown and grounded pound specialist. Right. right. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a style that doesn't, that we would expect not to age particularly gracefully. Yeah. All, I mean, you know, it's the, the kind of Avon Barksdale problem where all you got to be is a little bit slow and a little bit late. And how you ain't never going to be slow and never going to be late, especially when you're 36. Right. I guess we got to give Stephen Thompson some credit, though. Clearly, this this footage is making the rounds on social media this week. Taking this knockout loss like a champ. Like, yeah. it ain't no thing for Stephen Thompson. Like, did I teleport back here? I believe is his line as he's, like, sitting in the gurney, getting, maybe getting loaded in the ambulance to go to the hospital. Just sort of, like, uh, cracking jokes and taking it in stride. Yeah. Which is a... Uh, uh, to his credit, I guess, especially since this is the first time it's ever happened to him. I also, I though, if you're looking at Anthony Pettis and his future now as a welterweight, I don't know what you come out of this fight going, all right, yeah, look out, welterweight, Anthony Pettis is here. Yeah. I mean, he won the fight, he gets that. I would be very careful if I was him about my next step at welterweight, because there are some guys in that division that could be a nightmare matchup for him. His idea of trying to get a rematch with Rafael Dos Anjos is not a terrible idea, honestly. Like another former lightweight, uh, a guy you have a history with. You know, yeah, like that's – because there are some other people, especially the guys who want to, you know, get in there, rough you up in the clinch, take you down, elbow you in the face, and they're going to be bigger and stronger than you at that weight. That – those are going to be some bad nights for Anthony Pettis if he gets in some of those fights. I agree. I think the Rafael Dos Anjos call out – stylistically is not great for Anthony Pettis. Like that's exactly how Rafael Dos Anjos wants to fight. He wants to take you down and, and, and punch your face in on the ground. Uh, but at least you're going up against another guy from that division. It originally. is another guy that you're not going to have hopefully a huge size disadvantage against. Uh, and you're right. Like, I don't yeah. think anybody walks away from this being like Anthony Pettis is here at welterweight, like plant the flag where we're in on this expedition all the way. Future champ at the same time. Pretty crazy time at welterweight right now. It is. A lot of crazy stuff happening. You got a new champion. You got a number of uh, uh, upset victories here. I like. I wouldn't argue with Anthony Pettis against Jorge Masvidal. I mean, honestly, I think that Anthony Pettis went out there and made a case for himself as a free agent signee of the 165.com, the new streaming service there we're starting go. where we only broadcast fights in the 165-pound division. I'm just going to list off a few guys that I think would be fun to watch Anthony Pettis fight. Okay. Darren Till. Huge size disadvantage, but in terms of style, kind of what Anthony Pettis likes to do. Somebody's going to sleep. Would watch. Leon Edwards. Uh, would less watch. Easy Dos Santos. <laughs> would watch. Would watch the shit out of that. Then you got Gunnar Nelson. Okay, would watch. Probably would watch that. Uh, and of course, like I said, Jorge Masvidal. Like, there's some guys that I think that there's reason to believe... Stephen Thompson could at least have some fun fight. Or I'm, I'm sorry, Anthony Pettis could at least have some fun fights with. Not necessarily that he's going to go out there and win all of them. You said Easy Dos Santos, and for a second I was like, who is that? And then I remembered, oh yeah, Easy Dos Santos. Yeah. Our guy. We, we already have improved that guy's situation with that nickname. I know. If I would, It's not even a nickname, it's just initials. I, I would have rolled up in here and been like, Elazu Dos Santos. Zaleski Dos Santos. You would have had no idea. I would have been like, I have no idea who that is. And then you would have reminded me he fought two weeks ago. Anthony Pettis, like, uh, clearly a big win for him, Ben. Uh, he is now, whew, he's been on the win one, lose one track since August of 2016 after he beat Charles Oliveira. Uh, but it, he is at least five and three now in his last eight fights. And that, of course, 
kicks off right after his three straight losses from 2015 to 2016. Uh, still a relatively young guy, still capable clearly of doing great things as we saw against Steven Thompson this weekend. Uh, but at the same time, like I'm, I'm still short of him going to the one six, five, which is clearly a thing that does not exist yet. Either the streaming service or the weight class, the streaming service though, just all it needs is sponsors, infrastructure, money, contracts, any money, any uh, money whatsoever, expertise, uh, legal help, a lot of legal help, because we're going to be committing some tortious interference with people's contracts. Big time, because yeah. we've got to get a bunch of guys yeah. out of their UFC it's deals. A, like, basically, our main thing is going to be tortious interference. But I don't see it as a problem. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad. I still have a hard time figuring out where Anthony Pettis fits in. I guess that's going to be the uh, the intrigue that follows Anthony Pettis to his next, next fight and his fights after that. Let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, what's your Are You Fucking Kidding Me? this week? Well, we're going to get into... Justin Willis and uh, Curtis Blades in the in the next round. Yeah, and I know you're going to have some stuff to say here about Curtis Blades and your. Are you fucking kidding me? Indeed, sir. I'm going to have some stuff to say about Justin Willis because we talked about uh, Stephen Thompson's very positive, golly G Willikers reaction to getting knocked out by Anthony Pettis. Yeah. Did you see Justin Willis's reaction on Instagram to getting his uh, losing the decision, getting ridden like a pony by? Uh, Curtis Blades. I saw that he said he froze up, but I'm not sure that the, is that the Instagram. The, here's the Instagram post. This will be my last post until certain things are fixed with myself and my team. I will remain humble as I am in victory and also in my very last all caps defeat of my career. Throughout my life, things work once, but they will never work twice. I will make zero excuses, but I must be honest with myself and my fans. I froze up. It will never happen again. Hashtag God is great. Hashtag brick by brick. Hashtag outwork them all. Hashtag beautifully imperfect. Hashtag bring it. My are you fucking kidding me goes out to how did he manage to squeeze so much MMA into this one statement? That's a very MMA statement. Every single sentence has some stuff. Like the one thing, like getting on Instagram and being like, this will be my last post until I get my shit together. Man, no, it won't. No, it won't. There will be more posts. That's one thing I feel confident of. Also, I will remain humble as I am in victory. You didn't anything but humble leading up to this fight. It's so true. Uh, true. it's talking about being a champ in a division that doesn't even exist. Right. Super uh, heavyweight. The last defeat of my career. How many times have we seen people go on like social media and be like, well, I'm never doing that again. Losing a professional fight. That was some bullshit. Also not going to make excuses, but here's a sort of kind of excuse. Are you fucking kidding me? It's all the notes, all the post-fight notes right here. You know what might be the most MMA thing about it to me, though, is that I have no idea what he's talking about for the most part. (laughs) Some things that need to be fixed. Certain things, Chad. He will let us know. (laughs) When the time is right. When the time is right. Ben, my are you fucking kidding me this week goes out to Curtis Blades, and I honestly can't decide if it's a positive or negative are you fucking kidding me. Okay. Because there's some things that I love about it and some things where I'm just like, shortest distance between two points, man. Curtis Blades gets a big win in the heavyweight division. Right. Beats Justin Willis. He's in the cage getting interviewed by the heavyweight champion. I see where you're Daniel going. Daniel Cormier. Yeah. By the way, Justin Willis, teammate of heavyweight champion Daniel Cormier. Okay. In fact, there are some subtleties in this interview that I love. And one of them is the look on Daniel Cormier's face when Curtis Blades repeatedly keeps saying big titty. 
<laughs> the big titty. I mean, it's right there. I mean, Daniel Cormier is out there to do a job. This man is a professional, <laughs> but there's a little tick in his face. There's a little wince there when he's like, that's my friend that you're talking about right now, calling him Big Diddy over and over again. Here's my are you fucking kidding me? You just want a heavyweight fight. You're number four in the world coming into this fight. You're standing there getting interviewed by the heavyweight champion. Daniel Cormier throws it out there. Who do you want to fight next? Curtis Blades calls out everyone in the heavyweight division except Daniel Cormier. And he calls them out by their first names only. Junior, Derek, Stipe. Like they're all friends. Yeah. Like they're all pals going to the same high school. We're all just buddies trying to get something on the books here. Are you fucking kidding me? Why not throw a Daniel in there? I want to fight Daniel, the you, champion. You know who I want to fight? You. You, Daniel Cormier. That's who I want to fight. I can't. That would have been a great I, moment. I, I honestly can't tell if it's if I love it or hate it. That like if it if not mentioning Daniel Cormier is respect or Curtis Blades like being realistic about See, where he stands in the division, or if it's like some low key shade, or he's like, nah, man, Junior, Derek, or Stipe. I think that what it was mostly is that Curtis Blades might be ambitious, but he's not delusional he knows he's coming off a loss to francis ngano he's won all of one fight in a row now he's not gonna get the heavyweight champ we all know what daniel cormier has lined up for him next and it's not curtis blade he's not gonna get the fight but the man is standing right there and he just asked you he asked you who do you want to fight next you motherfucker you fucking kidding me, fucking kidding me? that's gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back round number two Chad, I want to give you a quote here post-fight from your man, Miami area private eye, Curtis Razor Blades. He disrespected my father. I was all good until then. When he disrespected my father, I held on to that. Held on to that and then held on to big pretty Justin Willis as he picked him up, carried him through the air like a small child and slammed him down and then rode him into a unanimous decision victory lopsided win there for Curtis Blades. You don't disrespect Curtis Blades' father, man. Good news is Justin Willis probably get a free flight home because he got some frequent flyer miles Ooh, in this fight. Low-hanging fruit. We talked about this on the Power Hour on Friday, but you saw it on Curtis Blades' face. You did? While these guys were drawn up there during the stare down prior to the fight, and Justin Willis was saying the thing about how daddy can't save you. And Curtis, the whole time, Curtis Blades was just like sighing sighing in the way that Matt Hughes sighed when Frank Trigg tried, tried to talk shit to him, just like, okay, we'll find out. Like, there were actually, the good part is we're actually going to have a fight, so we will get to find out. When he said the thing about Curtis Blades' dad, Curtis Blades did look over at him for a moment, and now that I can put the words to it, since Curtis Blades has said it, he saved that one. He held on to that one for yeah. later. And you could tell in this fight, like I said at the top of the show, some people talk trash, Curtis Blades was mad, and yeah. that's different. Then Justin Willis just like coming to this thing like this is my coming out party. I'm going to talk a bunch of trash. I got the sunglasses. I got the hoodie. I got the persona. I'm going to be the champion at Super Heavyweight, which is a division that doesn't even exist. Curtis Blades was, was legitimately mad. And there is a difference. There is. And if you're Justin Willis and you get taken down pretty early on into that fight, for one thing, you had to know this was going to be Curtis Blades' game plan. Yep. Like, that's just 
if you've ever seen any tape on the guy, you know that this is what he's going to try to do. And when he comes out there and really quickly starts doing it to you, and it's not the kind of thing where, you know, he's not Demian Maya. He's not going to take your back and lock up the rear naked choke. He, you're going to be here for a while doing this. Do you think that there's a moment where you just kind of go, well, shit. Yes, It's going to be a long night. And, like, there's not a better heavyweight wrestling room to be in than the one Justin Willis is in. Right. And yet, and it was a little bit surprising because Curtis Blades talked before the fight where he was like, this guy says that he's supposed to be a good wrestler. Who does he wrestle? Like, who do you see him actually go out there and out wrestle? Like, look at his performance against Mark Hunt, that kind of stuff, where he just jabbed and run the whole time. Like, I'm the one actually out there wrestling people. And he said afterwards, he said, this is a quote from Curtis Blades, I knew he couldn't stop my wrestling. I knew that's what I was going to do to him. I knew he couldn't stop my wrestling, and I envisioned the entire eight weeks. I knew that was going to happen. And, yeah, that's what it seemed like. It seemed like he knew exactly, like, all right, as soon you know, you're out there, you're, you're winking at me across the cage during the introductions. But as soon as it's go time, like, I'm going to come over there, I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to punch you in your head. Yes. And the thing that I appreciate most, perhaps, besides his nickname as the best private investigator walking the streets of South Beach, the thing that I appreciate most about Curtis Blades is his love of wrestling. I love that he loves it. He's, like, he even said, like, Kane is a great wrestler, DC is a great wrestler, there's great wrestlers in this sport, but it seems like some of them have been talked into falling in love with the stand-up game, and I'm not one of those people. I love wrestling. I'm going to go out there and wrestle and 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 do do my thing. And I think that's terrific. And like, you can argue that going out there and wrestling a unanimous decision win over Justin Willis does not necessarily improve Curtis Blades' stock in the heavyweight division because it wasn't quote unquote as exciting as it could have been. But I was entertained. I liked seeing these takedowns and the ground and pound, and I liked seeing that once Justin Willis was worried about the takedowns, that Curtis Blades wobbled him on the feet with a punch. Like that's how it works. That's what you do. And so I understand that I am. This is just totally in my wheelhouse, but I applaud Curtis Blades. It is in your wheelhouse. For his approach. How much of your enjoyment of this fight, though, had to do with the excitement that Justin Willis brought prior to the bell? Well, had Justin Willis won it, then he would have looked like a genius, right? Then you would have been like, nice work, Justin Willis. You go, you talk all that trash, like you establish this persona for yourself. Then you go out there and you beat one of the top contenders. He had himself a weekend. All right, Justin Willis. He looked so ill-prepared for this thing. And, and you know, I understand. Froze up like, certain things. Sure he did. Some people just don't have those skills, man. Like, I feel like in mixed martial arts, a lot of times as fans, we have this thing where we're like, well, he just needs to work harder on his wrestling and he'll be, he'll yeah. be better. Like, Curtis Blades has probably been wrestling since he was like three. Like, you're just not going to close that gap, especially if that's not your your background or your area of, of expertise and your name is not George St. Pierre. You're not going to transform yourself into, like, a world-class grappler. And so, like, probably doesn't matter how much training Justin Willis does on wrestling. The top wrestlers in the division are probably still going to be able to take him down. But it just seems like, man, you talked a lot of junk, and then you showed up just looking like you made a brief concession toward trying to stop the takedowns and then it was just sort of like okay i guess this is what we're doing right but didn't that contribute to at least the air of importance around this bio? because otherwise it's just you know it's a co-main event heavyweight fight on an internet stream and a fairly unremarkable fight card sure but because justin willis talked it up into a thing then we knew going into this fight either justin willis is going to be like proven out as, like you said, kind of a genius for hyping his fight up and then actually going out there and winning, or Curtis Blades will deliver a righteous comeuppance. Right. Yeah. Credit Justin Willis for that. That's a great point. He definitely like talked this thing into a, a 
an echelon that it would not have been at if we if he had not done that. And maybe that makes him more marketable moving forward. Maybe if you're the UFC, uh, you think, well, we can just give him a, you know, who who else has, has lost a high-profile fight in the UFC? We can slot Justin Wilson there, and he'll come out and talk a bunch of shit and, and like, elevate that next fight to a, to the extent that he can do it as well. So, like, fair play to him, sir, as they say across the pond. Well, now you got Curtis Blades. He wants, who do you say, Stipe Jr. Derek. Derek. All, all his boys. Derek Lewis looked like he's going to be out for a while. He yep, got, he's, he's just having surgery on his knee, right? That's right. On and an injury that he apparently sustained a while ago in his fight against Ron Potts. Yeah, that's what he said anyway. And he also said that during his off time, he plans to lose about 40 pounds, which is usually not the way off time always goes for he pro fighters. better give the Popeye's chicken card to someone else. Like Maybe you should hold on to it, is yes. what you're saying? Oh, that's a great idea. If Derek <laughs> needs someone to hold on to that. Look, Derek, it'll still be yours, but I'll just keep it at my house. <laughs> or better yet, in the center console of my car. There you just go. Just until you're ready for it. Now we're thinking. Uh, of those people, let's take Derek Lewis off the list just because of, you know, Curtis Blades probably wants to get back in there and get to work before Derek Lewis is going to be ready. You got Junior, you got Stipe. You interested in those fights? You, you you think that those fights get made, or do you think that Curtis Blades ends up on ESPN plus twelve or whatever? He's in a weird spot, and clearly, like we talked about in the last round, he's probably not getting Daniel Cormier because we have other ideas for that. He's already lost a couple times to Francis Ngannou. Only person who's beat him. I'm just beating the drum for Junior and Ngannou. That JDS and Francis Ngannou should fight each other. Right. I don't see a downside there. I think that that's a, a slam dunk heavyweight contender fight. So the only guy left, if Lewis is out, is Stipe Miocic. And and that's a good fight. Like, because Stipe can wrestle. And Stipe obviously uh, has the stand-up skills to to make Curtis Blades hurt if, if it has to stay on the feet. It's probably a little bit less marketable if you if you're Stipe Miocic, you were probably right. open for somebody. He, yeah, he's a been bit trying to get some on the books with Daniel Cormier, man. You go from that to a fight with Curtis Blades. It doesn't seem like he would go for that. But Although, you, as we talked about before, Stipe does need to get to work if he otherwise this division is going to just completely leave him behind. He needs to get something on the books, yeah. and I don't know that there's a, any great options for those guys, you know. If we pretend for a second that JDS and Ngannou are in fact going to fight each other and that Daniel Cormier is going to do something like fight Brock Lesnar or John Jones or fight both of them, there's not a ton of other options, man. Like, uh, that's your whole top five. That's everybody in the top five if Derek Lewis is out having surgery. And then you got Alexander Volkov. Would you rather fight Curtis Blades or Alexander Volkov if you're Stipe Miocic? There's Alistair Overeem. They've already fought. Cain Velasquez just got worked. Alexi Olenek. Then you got Justin Willis. And then you get into your whole Marcin Tibera, Tai Tuivasa, uh, Blagoy Ivanov type situations well, down there near the bottom of the top 15. You know what? If I'm Curtis Blades and somebody says to me, what would you think about Cain Velasquez? I say yes automatically to that. Sure. Because for one thing, sure, I'll just work my way through uh, AKA until Daniel Cormier eventually. I, I feel like I have earned the right to say his name in an interview with Daniel Cormier. But matchup-wise, I feel like you know maybe if you're Curtis Blades, you think now's the time where I could beat a guy like Cain Velasquez and still get some of the shine off of the name of Cain Velasquez. Yeah. It's a, a fight that pushes you forward. And if you're Cain Velasquez, you're just coming off a loss. So maybe it sounds like a, a reasonable fight to take. I feel like whatever the UFC does next is going to tell us a lot about what it's thinking. Because yeah. if it does indeed make Francis Ngannou versus Junior Dos Santos, that obviously points us in a certain kind of direction. And honestly, now that I look at the list, 
I re- I don't see a lot happening up there besides Stipe Miocic versus Curtis Blades. There's just not a lot else, not a lot of other options unless someone, you know, who's been out for a while sticks their head up and, and we make a wild card match. But more power to Curtis Blades because he made it happen. That's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. This Friday, March 30th, from the Wells Fargo Center out there in Philadelphia, PA, UFC on ESPN2, a.k.a. UFC on ESPN, Barboza versus Gaethje. This is just prime for violence here, Edson Barboza versus Justin Gaethje. I don't even know if we have a plan or a talking point or a game plan besides these two guys are just going to beat the hell out of each other. They are, and it kind of feels like exactly the sort of fight that would have... headlined a UFC on Fox like this is the it's the same game plan there when it goes to UFC on big ESPN as it was UFC on big Fox see that's why when we talk earlier about like what is the how is the matchmaking going to change now that we are moving to this largely streaming era I'm like probably not at all like sometimes it just seems like the UFC has done a find and replace in the Sean Shelby matchmaking handbook where it used to say Fox or used to say FS1 now it says ESPN yeah well and Nobody is out there complaining about this matchup in the main event anyway. You know, the the rest of the main card, we can talk about a little bit later. Not exactly a whole lot of stuff there knocking your socks off. Six fight. Six fight main card. Six fight main card. And some of it, I mean, some of it, some interesting fights there. Josh Emmett, Michael Johnson, but then also David the Executive Branch versus uh, Jack Hermanson. Uh, Paul Craig versus Kennedy's. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Stuff like you do that. have Carolina Kovalkiewicz versus Michelle Waters. You do. And that feels like a, a Fox fight. It does. Doesn't it? It definitely does. Yeah. Uh, but the main event is clearly like, all right, you want to watch some people bash each other's goddamn skulls in. That is exactly what we're going to deliver here. And I know we're wary sometimes of being like, hey, on paper, this looks like a slugfest. So therefore, it absolutely must be because sometimes we feel like we jinx it. But how could this not be? Yeah. Yeah. I believe I asked this question when we first switched over to Fox, so I guess I will ask it about ESPN. What are the chances that some old fella is just trying to see if the NCAA tournament is still going, kicks it over to ESPN, you know, Saturday night around 9 o'clock and gets stumbles into Edson Barboza and Justin Gaethje just bleeding all over each other and is therefore just and horrified. He's just like, what? Mother, get in here. Look at this. <laughs> Horrifying. First of all, if you think that's going to be Man's in humanity to man, mother. At 9 o'clock. You're, you're a mistake. Six fight main card, my man. Six fight main card. What are the odds here? What do we got going on? Who's the favorite here? Uh, I was just looking that up. I was a little surprised. Who do you think is the favorite? I have no idea, man. Uh, Justin Gaethje is, what is he, 2-2 two and two since coming to the UFC? He's just He lost twice to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier and then got off the schneid with a KO win over James Vick in another fight that seemed like it was made just to have Justin Gaethje go out there and get into bloody fight with a guy. Uh, same exact situation for Edson Barboza. He lost to the champ, Habib Nurmagomedov, back at UFC 219. He lost to Kevin Lee in a 157-pound catchweight after Lee missed weight, and then he beat Dan Hooker in December. So guys that are on equal footing, although 
I would argue maybe Justin Gaethje as the more rounded MMA game. So I'm going to say hesitantly, I expect Justin Gaethje to be a slight favorite. He is a plus 120 underdog. Really? Interesting. Edson Barboza at minus 140 in the odds I'm looking at. And I can kind of see it. That, And this is the question that I have going into pretty much every Justin Gaethje fight at yeah. this point. But also especially this one. Because we talked about it before where... You know, he came in the UFC with an unbeaten record, but also came in saying, hey, look, I know the way I fight and I know the risks that go along with it. And I'm not going to stay unbeaten forever. And that is not my goal. And I'm fine with that. And I embrace that. And we we lauded that as a pretty mature and self-aware viewpoint from him. And then, you know, he wins that Michael Johnson fight that he almost lost. Uh, and then he loses two in a row in you know killer fights in every sense of the word to mm-hmm. both Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, you know, two of the best in the lightweight division. So no shame there. And we were like, okay, at some point, even if you are a really fun guy to watch, you do need to win some. And then he goes out there and he knocks out James Vick right away, especially yeah. after James Vick had criticized him for being the Homer Simpson of MMA for just going out there and taking so much punishment willfully. And so he wins that one. He gets back and now you get in there in a fight against Edson Barboza, who, very technically sound striker, a guy who can just be kind of a buzzsaw of a man once he gets going and has an exciting style that does not necessarily rely on leading with his face the way yeah. Justin Gaethje's does. Is this the kind of fight where Justin Gaethje can still go out there and be like, man, I'm just Tasmanian deviling my way through this thing. I'm putting my head down, I'm throwing, and I don't care what happens. Or does he need to fight like he cares a little bit more about the outcome? It's an interesting litmus test fight in in certain ways because the guys that we've seen him lose to, Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez, are obviously big-time serious dudes. And the guys that we saw him defeat previous in his previous incarnation in in World Series of Fighting, you know, uh, he beat some some people we've heard of. Obviously, Melvin Gillard, Dan Lazon is on that list. Uh, Jay Z Cavalcante, guys that are are you know serious dudes like Brian Foster. But we haven't. I don't know that we have a gauge on like how good Justin Gaethje actually is. Cause I don't know that there's a, sh- a whole lot of shame in losing to guys like Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier, especially if you go out there and make it a coin flip, like Justin Gaethje kind of does. But if you are meant to be, I don't even know if among the elite is the right way to say it, but if you are meant to be like in the top part of this division, like Edson Barboza is a guy that you should beat. Because Edson Barboza, like you said, super skilled and very exciting to watch. But at the same time, maybe like Justin Gaethje, he's a guy that has settled into this role in this in the UFC where, like, we will always watch him. It is most of the time going to be fun. He has lost most of his fights against upper echelon uh, lightweights. And so to beat Justin Gaethje would be a nice feather in the cap of Edson Barboza. At the same time, this is one Justin Gaethje kind of needs to win. Not only because, yeah, man, you need to... Add, at least occasionally win lest uh, you you start appearing to have Conor McGregor disease where the the uninitiated will come to Ben Folks's house and ask, does this guy ever win? Like you just need to prove that you're still a viable commodity in the UFC. And I don't think Gaethje loses all of that if he def- is defeated by Edson Barboza. But at the same time, in terms of his long-term marketability, I think this would be a nice one to see him win. You're saying it would be better for, to win this fight than to lose it? This would it? be a better one to win than it would be to lose. Okay. And it would be a good one to to win instead of winning right up to the point where you lose. Career strategist Chad Dundas. Win them all, baby. Let's win them all. Can't win them all, though. But we should try. 
Try to win them all. Try to win every one, <laughs> one fight at a time. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, why not on top? You, how don't much, worry about what you can't control. Bro. How much is your consultant's fee, by the way? <laughs> steep. Steep. It's called the uh, Sports Cliché Consulting Office. Okay. One step at a time, brother. Feels a little bit like a crisis management kind of thing where maybe you don't want to name the thing exactly what the thing is. Yeah. And just may- maybe not really have anything to offer besides a bunch of cliches. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It well, is what it is. It is what it is. Are we doing just saying stuff and getting out of here? Yeah. Let's do just saying stuff. Uh, ben... Did you see George St. Pierre doing the double flip on his social media this week? I did not. All I'm saying is it looks very much like George St. Pierre's life and retirement looks a lot like the ideal life of my three-year-old. Just like (laughs) doing a ton of gymnastics. Yeah. Like George is going to run out here and do a double flip. Not going to land it, but he's just going to do it, land in the the foam. Uh, Probably going to be a lot of dinosaur stuff. Okay. Probably watch a lot of PG or G-rated movies. Swim, so they're going to be some swimming pool time. Yeah. I'm just saying, George, if you want to babysit my three-year-old, give me a call. We could work something out. We could pay 10 to $12 an hour. I don't know. Maybe higher, depending on what your qualifications are. It just looks like George St. Beard's having a lot of fun in retirement. Think he's CPR certified? Probably. Yeah, probably is, actually. Probably is. Just saying. Just saying. Chad, I'm just saying, I will read to you now from somebody's social media, and you will try to tell what me is this, who it is. Master Tweet Theater? Surprise Master Tweet Theater at the end of this is bullshit. It's, I did not prepare for this. This is not a tweet. This is from Instagram. I'll tell you that. Khabib's hiding. Khabib's spelled wrong. That's important. Khabib's hiding scared because I slapped the shit out of him. Connor already got his ass beat twice. Okay, Where the fuck you at, Khabib? This is Nate Diaz. P.S. Poirier is a pussy. That's Nate Diaz. Yep. That's got to be Nate Diaz. That's Nate Diaz still doing this thing. And I'm just saying it also comes uh, like with a perhaps too slickly produced Nate Diaz highlight reel that shows not only like actual gym fighting footage, but also just running around being a Nate Diaz style knucklehead footage. And it's all edited together very well. I'm just saying... You are at the point of self-parody here, my man. It's you got to either fight somebody or move on because you you can't play the greatest hits forever. I, I mean, the Steve Miller band maybe can, but Nate Diaz can't. It's getting old. I'm just saying, time to make a move. Just one saying. way or another. A lot of people doing that on social media right now, though. You know, uh, I saw Conor McGregor's back out there again, congratulating people on on their wins. Uh, congratulating people on being three, getting their wins in three different divisions. Not necessarily booked to fight anybody himself, but just wants to stay in the mix. So maybe Nate Diaz is taking a page out of that book. Just nope. Just gotta gotta do something else. Just saying. Can't play the greatest hits forever. Anyway, that's gonna do it for this week's co-main event podcast. Unfortunately, we will be off for the rest of the week, but we'll be back on Monday to do this show as scheduled. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. You see Roger Rousey, headline in WrestleMania, first time ever, women's main event, WrestleMania, three-way dance, Becky Lynch, Charlotte Flair. I assume it's a big deal. I just feel like we talked about it, I talked to you. We just got a show about how it's maybe going to be a tough transition.